Hello, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and this is our podcast. On Sunday, we wrapped up our series called This Is Us. Join us for part three as we talk about who we are as a church. And we're going to be a part of that. And this is going to be a little bit different style. I'll be jumping uh, around a little bit in scriptures. But let's start by defining this concept of core values, okay? Core values are the guiding principle that dictate behavior and action. In the church, they serve as the principles, the foundation for everything that we want to do. And as long as we're doing these things, it lets us know if the things we are doing are actually completing our mission. And so let's dig into our core values. We're just going to get right into it. Um, But uh, the first of our core values that are huge in living out the mission that God has for us is prayer. Okay, prayer is one of the things that we as believers need to engage in, enlist in, be a part of if we want to make a difference, if we want to live out the the mission that God has given us. And it should be a foundation to everything that we as the church do, as well as those who are followers of Jesus does. Now, for, for our purposes here, I want to make a clear distinction, okay? Because a lot of times when people hear this word prayer, the thought that comes into their mind is, oh, when I'm at home, you know, and I've got a few minutes and I, and I stop and pray. And, and that is, that's an aspect of prayer. But what we're going to talk about more has to deal with the corporate aspect of prayer. In that we as followers of Jesus corporately gathering together and praying. Because if you were to start and page through the pages of the Bible, starting at the beginning, and look at some of the biggest moves of God, They have not happened when believers went home and when they had a few minutes, got into their prayer closet and spent some time praying. Most of the moves of God that have happened in the Bible have happened as a result of those who were following God, who were following Jesus, gathering together and praying together corporately. And there's a reason for that that we're going to come to in a little bit. But you see this all throughout. I mean, 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and chapter 7, Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem and it's completed. And they're having a dedication ceremony for this temple. And Solomon gathers the whole nation of Israel together and corporately they start to pray. And what happens is as they start to pray, God's presence falls into that place. It was so powerfully there that what happened was the priests literally had to leave the temple because they couldn't stand before the presence of God. But that only happened because the people gathered together to pray. Another time, a little bit later in the book of 2 Chronicles, this guy named Sennacherib, he was the king of the nation of Assyria, the most powerful nation at the time. He marched his armies up to the gates and walls of Jerusalem and he surrounded the city of Jerusalem. And he was ready to take down the city. No city had been able to stand up against his army yet. But as his army gathered around the city, the king of uh, uh, Israel, the king of Jerusalem, uh, Judea, gathered together. Him and Isaiah got together. And they got together and they prayed. And they said, God, we need you to do something. We need a miracle here. And as they got together and as they prayed, God moved and God worked and he defeated the Assyrian army and sent them away from the gates of the city of Jerusalem. We see the same thing in the book of Ezra and Ruth, and I could go on. Moving over into the New Testament, the book of Acts, we see corporate prayer causing the ground to shake and believers to be filled boldly to go out and share their faith in Acts chapter 4. And we don't see any other place where the ground was shaken except for when the believers gathered together and began to seek God. They decided that what they wanted needed to take a back seat to what God wanted. 
They shut their Netflix off. The movie that they wanted to stream, they said no. The restaurant that they wanted to go and eat at was not as important as God's calling them together to gather into a place to pray. And that's what they did. And the ground was shaken as a result of them gathering together to pray. And God did some incredible things as they headed out those doors and made a difference in their city. And this is the deal. If we want to see God move and work, if we want to see God really connect people to Christ, it's going to take not just us praying when we're at home, when we have a few minutes, but it's also going to take us coming and gathering here when we're having a corporate time of prayer where people are gathered together to seek God's face and asking for those very things when we're gathered together here. Because it's in those times that the glory of the Lord will fill this room. It's in those times that God's going to shake the foundation of the building. It's in those times that God is going to move and work in power and might. And you may be saying to yourselves, come on, I already have such a busy life and I don't want more stuff to do and it's far easier to pray when I have a minute, to pray when I have some time. I forgot to shut my phone off. And we got to understand, praying together is not so much about praying in a group as it is the power of believers, as they unite together in one in asking God for something. See, Jesus told his followers in Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 and 19 this, again, truly I tell you that if two of you um, agree On earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And the point of this is unity of believers. It's about the believers being united. It's about the believers being in one accord, in one agreement, coming into a place and saying, God, this is something that we all want more than anything else. Because one of the greatest tools that Satan uses is to divide a church. Satan will put things here, things here, things there, and things there. And when we're so, when we're off all doing our own things and we hear a word spoken into us, we just go, oh, that must be true and it causes division. But when we're gathered together and when we're seeking God and when we're praying and we're spending time in God's presence like that and Satan tries to come in and speak, We know the truth and we know what's going on and we know that Satan is trying to cause division. Why? Because we've been gathered together, we've been praying, we've been seeking God, we've been asking him, and we know what God's heartbeat is corporately as a group. I mean, it's just like you trying to be married and 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 have a marriage without ever getting together with your spouse. I mean, if you never spend time with your spouse, it's not really a relationship. And just like us with God, we've got to gather together, all of us with God, so that we can be united, so that we can be one, so that we can see God move and work in big things through prayer. And so the first thing that we need to do as a body is to gather together and pray to see God's mission take place. Our second value to live this out is uh, the word of God. And to understand uh, this, I want to talk about a building. Um, I think many of us have heard of the Leaning Tower of Pizza, right? If you haven't heard of this thing, it's not like literally a tower of pizza. I mean, that would be awesome, right? I mean, wouldn't it be cool if I had a tower of pizza in here? I mean, that would be sweet. But it's a uh, freestanding bell tower of the Catholic Cathedral in the city of Pisa, Italy. And the tower 
leans. You can put the slide up there, Chris. The picture. Okay, there is a picture of the bell tower, the leaning tower in Pizza. Now, this building was not designed to look like that. Okay, they did not put this up saying, we want like an eight degree tilt on this building. They actually put it up and wanted this thing to go up straight. However, and, and that was their plan, and when they went out there and they, they laid their foundation, and the foundation originally was straight. However, as the years passed, and as the building slowly started to go up, it started to lean more and more. They actually say on the top floors, they built the building so that it's higher at one end than it is at the other, so the room, so that it gives the illusion that it's level, but it's actually not. And the building just leaned more and more over the years. And as they've done research to figure out what's happened to this tower, why it's gotten like that, what, what they found was when the builder laid the foundation, one, he used stones that were too small to support the weight of the structure, and two, he put part of the building on unstable ground, ground that shifts, got ground that sinks, got ground that moves. See, he thought he was placing enough rock, and he thought he was placing it on a good, solid place for this building to be put up, but what he discovered was not true. What he believed about the ground was wrong. And so what does this have to do with us? For us living on mission, knowing what is true is just as important as knowing what is true about the ground that a building is built on. If we as followers of Jesus do not have a solid source for our truth, we are going to lean, we are going to tilt, and at some point, we are going to fall over. That's why the words contained, the words of God, uh, is, is our second core value. This is what we anchor everything on that we do. We know that the words of God determine truth in life, and it's the reason that we are here and do what we do. Matthew 7, 24 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So this was Jesus speaking, and he lets us know that the words that God has spoken are truth, and that building on them is the only way to go. That means if it's not in the words that God has spoken, we are not going to stake the life of the church on it, and we should not be staking our personal lives on it either. We need to anchor ourselves and this church to what is true, to what God says in his words that he has given us in the books and letters of the Old and New Testament. And so that's the second piece, is making sure we are anchored on God's words and the words that God has spoken. All right, our third piece uh, that we value and believe and key to living out our mission is that we love and serve people in real and authentic ways. How many of us like to go places where we are served? Yeah, most of us like that. I mean, you're not going to go to a restaurant unless I, I know there's a couple of restaurants that their theme is their service is horrible and the waitresses and waiters are really rude to you and stuff like that. But for the most part, what? Oh, Carol's Cafe, I guess, uh, is one of those restaurants. So if you're looking to be insulted and have food thrown at you, go to Carol's. She'll take care of that for you. All right? <laughs> but, uh, but no, for the most part, when we go to a restaurant, if we get terrible service, we're not going back to that restaurant. Because the reason that we generally go there is why. One, we don't want to have to cook for ourselves and we don't want to have to serve our own food. And so we're going to go someplace that's going to do that and do that really good for us. 
And when we find a place like that, what do we do? We always tell people about it, right? Oh man, we had such good service here. Oh, we had so, the food was so delicious. The, 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 wait, the wait staff was awesome, you know? We talk about those kind of places. We like it when our neighbor maybe shows up and just cuts our grass. I've heard that in Jason's neighborhood, he has sometimes randomly cut people's grass. And I mean, that just seems like an awesome blessing to, to have someone just come over and cut your grass. I many times wish I lived in his neighborhood so that seriously he could cut my grass. Um, but, uh, but that's the thing, you know, we, 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 like, we like it when we get served. And when we don't get served properly, we're not happy. We don't put out good words for people who don't serve, regardless of whatever it is, whatever the business is, and that's because we like it. But to fulfill Jesus' mission through our call is not to serve or to be served, but to serve. Jesus told us straight up when he was talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 27, this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of Jesus. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of my two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Then the ten heard about this. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the disciples, they were looking for a place of power and prestige. They were looking for the best seat in the house. But Jesus said to them, look, though that is not my kingdom. That is not what I am here for. I came to serve. I came to live my life for others, and this is what we are called to do. Why did he do that? Because he was compelled by the love that he had for us. Jesus, he gave his life, life as a ransom for us because he loves us, because he cares for us. But many followers of Jesus, we look at it and we go, man, I know Jesus loved me that much, but I don't have time to love people like Jesus loved people. I can give a small piece, but I can't give much more than a small piece of who I am because ain't nobody got time for that stuff. I want to look at a word that's used in that text that we just read. Jesus said in there, we must become a slave. This word that Jesus used was a very harsh word for the time. In that time, it meant one who was to, whose total allegiance, oh, I'm sorry, who is totally, one who is totally committed to another. Someone who is bound to an owner and to whom total Allegiance is pledged. Think about that. One who is bound to an owner and whose total allegiance is pledged to that owner. If we were to stop and look at our lives and see how we're rolling, see how we're living, would people look down upon us and say, oh yeah, they're a slave of Jesus. Their total life is committed to him. Their total allegiance is pledged to everything that he is. 
I think it would be a challenge for almost all of us if we were to look at our lives and really see who we were, how we were living, and how we were doing things, and say to ourselves, yes, I'm meeting up to this standard that God has called us to, to be a slave of Christ. He's calling us deeper into his presence to serve and to serve his kingdom and to see his kingdom advance. That's what he's about. That's, what, that's all Jesus really cares about. He is desperate to make sure that nobody is entering into eternity without having to hearing his name. And if we look at ourselves and we look at our life and we see this definition of slave and we say to ourselves, you know what, that's not me, we're going to have to look at ourselves and adjust how and who we are serving. The fourth thing that we value and is key to living out this mission is faith and risk. There is not one without the other. You cannot say you have faith without taking risks, and taking risks involves faith. But really, it's the story of our life. I mean, I've mentioned this in here before. Every single day, when we get in our car and drive anywhere, we are taking a risk. We're taking a risk that will make it home alive. I mean, I, seriously, I've got to drive back and forth on 60 every single day between here and Willow Oak, and that is like one of the most dangerous roads I've ever been on in my life. People are absolutely psycho on that road. They're either doing 85 miles an hour or they're pulling out in front of you thinking that you can stop in three car lengths while they don't accelerate. It just, it's like a death waiting to happen. I, I make jokes all the time with the staff. I might not be back later because I gotta drive down 60 so you gotta be ready to take over this church. They don't like that joke but every single day going back and forth to my house is a risk. It's a big risk. But it's more than just driving a car, buying a house is a big risk because, you know, we're banking on the fact that we've got a good job now and we're only going to get better and we're only going to make more money, but does it always work out that way? Absolutely not. You know, we're taking a risk when we have children. We're taking a risk that our kids are going to turn out, uh, turn out not the way we pictured them in our heads, right? Every parent, you've got this ideal picture in your head of what your kids are going to look like when they're, when they're 18, 19, or 20, Right? And, and some of us, by sheer force of our will, are going to make our kids like that, whether they want to be or not. But here's the deal. No matter how powerful your will is, our kids have their own will, and they can do things and turn out ways other than we expected them to turn out. And so having children is a huge risk. Our life is about risk each and every single day. But see, then when we come into this place and we come into the house of God and we say this church needs to take some risks to get out there, to reach some people, to make a difference, too many people are, or change things. Oh my gosh, we gotta take a risk and change how we do church altogether. All of a sudden the church is like, oh dude, we can't do that. There's too much at stake. No, yeah, I agree, there's too much at stake. Because as I've said several times, hell is real and people are gonna end up there. And so we need to take the risks and step out in faith. And that's what God needs. God needs people and churches who are willing to step out and take risks. Listen to Ecclesiastes 11.4. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Saying, what does that even mean? Well, back in the day when they used to farm, uh, back when Ecclesiastes was written, they didn't have the 
uh, big old tractors and combines and stuff that went out there and plowed up the ground and spread out the seed and all of that stuff. They literally had to take a hoe with oxen or whatever and dig, dig, dig troughs for the seeds. And then they literally had to walk down and sprinkle the seed by hand. They'd have a pouch on their side and they'd just drop seed like this. And so what that verse is saying is this. It's like, it's like if you wait for a calm day, you're never going to put the seed in the ground. Why was that a big deal? Because when you're reaching in and it's a windy day, like, oh, what, I don't know what day it was. Yesterday it was kind of windy outside, wasn't it? If you were outside yesterday throwing seed, guess what's going to happen? Probably 10 to 15% of your seed is going to blow away. Well, if you're a farmer, that's a big deal, especially back then when, I mean, literally every single piece of crop you got in was a matter of life and death. And so, and then when you planted that seed, what you wanted to have happen is you wanted it to rain so that the seed would water and the seed would grow. And what this verse is saying, whoever watches the wind will not plant and whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. God is basically saying if you're not gonna get out there and take a risk, you're never gonna get crops. And that's what it's about in our life. That's what it's about in our church. That's what it's about in the kingdom of God is that there's never going to be a perfect time for us to get out there. We cannot wait until there is little risk before we move because that day will never come. There's always not going to be enough rain. It's, you know, growing up in Minnesota, you heard about um, the farmers because the farmers were never happy up there. There was either too much rain or there was too little rain or it was too hot or it was too cold or it was too this or it was too that. But still, they got out there and planted their crops and that's what we need to do as a church. We need to get out there because our world is moving forward. The kingdom of God is moving forward and to move ahead with them involves risk and faith. Instead of fighting that, we need to embrace that and we need to say to God, what is, it? what is it you want me to do that's risky and faith-filled? Then the fifth thing that we value is an important to moving the missions forward is that we tell people what Jesus has done for us. This is the third time in three weeks that I've mentioned sharing our faith, so I'm not going to spend any more time on that. I mean, the first week, that's pretty much all that we talked about, but our mission is connecting people to Christ. The church is about reaching those who don't know Jesus. We reach out, we reach out, and we reach out. All right, then the sixth thing that we value, and it's integral to living out the mission, is excellence. How much time do I have? Because I could like literally spend 30 minutes on this right now. What is excellence? It's the quality of being outstanding. How many of you, if you brought in somebody to do some work for you, and they didn't do an excellent job, would invite them back? They came in and they painted and they only got a little bit of paint on your ceiling. You know, they came in and they, they cleaned your house and they got most of the soap scum out of the bathtub. Um, they came in and they cleaned your toilet and they got most of the stainy stuff that goes on the bowl. I don't even know what that's called. There's multiple things that can stain your toilet bowl, right? Um, but they, only, they, they didn't get them all off of there, okay? Would you be saying to yourself, man, this person does an excellent job? No. Would you recommend them to your friends and family to come and clean their toilet bowl or paint their walls? No, we wouldn't do that. But what's really weird is that we wouldn't want people to come and do that at our house. We wouldn't want people to come and do that if we hired them for a project. We, most of us in this room, I don't think, if we had a business and we were trying to do something, we wouldn't do things that way. However, when we step into the four walls of the church, we suddenly say to ourselves, 
I just need to do enough to get by. We worship a God that is a God of excellence. He never does anything okay or not too good. Look up in the night sky at night. I suppose that's the only time you can look at the night sky, right? Look up at the night sky, and it's just so amazing. I love, I love driving a Jeep that I can pull the top off of, because when I'm out, like this morning I was driving here at 4 a.m., and I mean, this probably helps making 60 a hazardous road, but I'm, I'm looking up like this as I'm driving. I figured there was nobody out at 5 o'clock this morning, so it was all good, right? But I'm just looking up at the stars, and it's just so amazing to see the beauty of the sky at night. Or when you stand there, and so many of you post sunset pictures on your Facebook and your Instagram, and you look at that, and it's just so beautiful and so amazing. And, 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 and so many things are, uh, you know, beaches and mountains and forests and plains and deserts and snow and pictures is beautiful, as long as you're not living in it, right? They all have stunning beauty. Look around the room at the people sitting around you. Hopefully they have stunning beauty as well, Right? And because our God is a God of excellence, all of our ministries, all of our activities, all of the things that we do need to be done with excellence as well. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart and working for the Lord, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And then it says this in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working, planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. In the ministry we are involved in, excellence should be our goal. It should never be. I hate this. Don't ever say this around me, okay? I'm just a volunteer. No, you're not. You're serving the God of this universe who has put you in place and asked you to do something. Are you going to tell God, I'm just a volunteer? It literally tells us in this text that based upon what we do, we're going to receive an inheritance. Do you understand that? And so that means that if your attitude is, I'm just a volunteer, your your inheritance when you get to heaven might not be that great. Okay, it might not be all that you hoped it would be. You may be saying to yourself, I don't care, I'm just getting to heaven. It's a wrong place and attitude to be in, man. Everything here needs to be done with excellence, whatever we're doing. I mean, I just, I hate pointing out Jason again, but Jason, when he cuts our grass, man, he's just, he's so perfect about how the lines look and how everything looks because he wants the yard to look nice so that when you drive into the yard, you guys say, wow, that grass looks really good out there. And that's the kind of attitude that we need to have when we enter into every sort of ministry in the church. I want this to be so good that when people walk in the doors, they are blown away by the excellence. It's not about, oh, you know what, I don't, you know, I don't, it's not a big deal if I don't show up today. I mean, a, a few weeks ago, we had everybody but two people on the fit team just decide they didn't want to show up that day, and we had nobody to, to usher. We had nobody to, to, to hand out programs. We had nobody to shake people's hands, and it gets really frustrating Because we're not looking at this as something that we need to do with excellence, but we are called to excellence. 
And I'm getting sensitive about this one, and you may be saying to yourself, why has this got you so hot? Because excellence isn't as big of a deal as some of the other things that we talked about. Well, here is the reason. When I speak to people who have come to this church, been here for a little bit, and then they go someplace else. And when I talk to them and ask them, you know, what's going on? What's up? I'll usually hear such things as, you know, I went to another church that has more energy, that has more life, that has more passion, and that does things with more excellence. See, when we don't do things with excellence, we are missing an opportunity to reach people for Jesus. And that means everyone. Whatever ministry you're in, from me at the top all the way through the whole organization, our service to God is something that we need to look at and demand excellence from ourself in so that we can make a difference. We can't just accept it's okay, I'm just a volunteer. We've got to be about, we want this to be the best it can possibly be. Then, Then the final thing that we have to be about, and this one I can't pull something out of the Bible, but uh, we need to be doing, uh, having ministry for all ages. We think it's important that we have ministries of excellence to children, to youth, to young adults, to middle-aged adults, to older adults, and, you know, and whatever other category, you know, if they discover Bigfoot living in our area, Bigfoot can speak English, we will start a Bigfoot ministry somehow, some way. I think that would be totally cool. I'm down with running that because I've always wanted to meet uh, a Bigfoot. Um, but Jesus has called us to reach this community, and this community is made up of children, youth, young adults, middle-aged adults, and older adults. That's the life, and that was the life that Jesus lived. He worked effectively and with excellence to all people, and so will we. And so what does this mean? Well, the first thing this means is that this is what FAM Church is about, so you don't need to ask or wonder. The mission of FAM Church is to connect people to Christ, how we make that happen at FAM Church is through the things we talked about last week, discipleship, worship, fellowship, evangelism, and ministry. And we have used uh, three L words to define those, live, love, and learn. But it takes more than that to live this out. It also takes prayer and the word of God and to love and serve people, faith and risk, telling people about Jesus' excellent and family ministries. But we can't just look at this. We can't just listen to this. We can't just hear this, walk away from it and say, oh, that was nice. We actually need to make a decision as a church to live this out. And that's the first thing that we all have to do if we want to see the mission go forward. If God, I mean, if, uh, if you're here and you're saying, man, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to do it, the first thing to do is get involved in these sorts of things and decide to live them out. And as you live them out, God's gonna lead you, God's gonna guide you, God's gonna direct you, God's gonna put you where you need to be to make your greatest impact. But we can't just hear them and walk away and say that was nice and not do anything. And then the second thing is that after he hearing this, do you feel a sense of urgency for our community, for our church, and for those far from God? So I want you to imagine this. Imagine that we actually knew the date that Jesus was going to return. 
Let's say Jesus is going to return tomorrow, October 29th, 2018. What would we be doing right now? I think if we definitely knew that without a doubt, Jesus was going to return tomorrow, we'd be thinking about our family and our friends who are going to live in eternity separated from Christ. I think that most of us would be passionately seeking them out and doing anything we could to get them to the place where they surrender their lives to Jesus. Why? Because we know if they don't, we're going to be separated from them for all eternity. Why does it matter if we know the day Jesus is going to return or not? That should be who we are regardless of when Jesus is going to return. We need to have that same kind of urgency that we would have if Jesus was coming back tomorrow, three days from now, because we know he's not coming back tomorrow. Just because I said the date up here, that means it's not going to happen, okay? And so, so like, if you, you know, uh, anyway, if you, if you want to prevent Jesus' return, just get up every day and say, Jesus is returning today and name the date. It probably won't happen that day because you predicted it. I'm not, I don't know. That's just, that's just how I read the Bible. Anyways, but listen, we got to act like every day could be the end. And that if something is not done to those who live around us, who our family and friends and all of that stuff, if we don't do something to make a difference in their lives, to take them from where they are at to, 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 to following Jesus, that has to be our urgency. And so let's do whatever it takes to advance Jesus' mission here at Fam Church in Mulberry. See, it should drive us to pray. It should drive us to reach out. It should drive us to do whatever it takes, short of sinning, to reach and to do what God has called us to do. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m., You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.